Everyone, welcome to episode number 39 of the Fitness Devil Podcast. Today's guest is, I better pronounce it correctly this time, Josh Citron, as in Megatron. He's a good friend of ours. You're going to find out a lot more about him as you listen in. We talk about his identity or lack thereof projecting his identity as a vegan and a lot of the aspects of veganism. For those who are not interested in veganism, stick with us. It's actually a really good conversation. We talk about his thoughts on categorizing BMI, its pitfalls. We talk about his love and uh, time spent pro wrestling and his work with Stronger You coaching clients. So stick around. This one's a really great one. Shut up and sit down. Hey everyone, uh, today we brought uh, our friend Josh Citrone onto the podcast, so uh, I'm Andrew Coates, Dean Guido sitting here with me, sure. and Josh is coming all the way from Des Moines. Now, they, we're Canadians, we're up in Edmonton, and Americans generally don't have a clue what where anything is in Canada on average, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've heard of Des Moines, I don't even know which one of the states that Des Moines is in. I know it sounds like a really exciting place to be. No, it doesn't. Where is it? Is that Idaho? <laughs> It's in, uh, it's fine. It's in Iowa. Iowa. And when I okay, told everyone initially I was moving to Iowa because Iowa is like the, the Midwest of the Midwest. It's like the true BFE state. And, um, when I told everyone I was moving to Iowa for like a year, everyone said I was moving to Idaho. <laughs> is there a difference? Not so much. No, probably. I'm sure. They I, do I, potatoes, we pretty much insulted everybody from Iowa or Idaho that is currently listening so our apologies we're in alberta which now that you think about it you like you have no clue where the fuck that is so we're even <laughs> so we're it's like f- texas with mountains pretty and, much uh, but j- and just want to cut you off yeah. uh because people are listening my name is actually citron citron not citron can we just, oh my no, god no no let's just so it's we, like megatron but citron like, sounds so much better like you yeah, have to admit I mean, maybe that. it does but like Citron is where it's at. Citron. See, I just I mispronounced the name. Now I feel terrible. You shouldn't feel terrible. It's Citron sounds like like a wrestling name, it's, it's and we're like, gonna get into wrestling, but Citron doesn't. You know, it's what I like mean? Dean misspelling Spencer Nadolsky's name repeatedly. Yeah, yeah well, it's Nadolsky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are actually fresh off hanging out with Josh literally like a week and a half ago at the Kansas City Fitness Summit. And if you don't yet know who Josh is, because we try to bring people on here that maybe our core audience hasn't heard of yet who we really want to share uh, josh is a nutrition and performance coach with stronger you and we've got a few other things we'll tell you about him too um he's uh, an asshole no uh, <laughs> he's and of course josh is following who are listening They're like these guys are idiots already we'll have some fun with this uh you're a hybrid athlete in a wide array of pursuits while being a vegan um, I figured you'd bring that up pretty, you being a vegan, you'd bring that up before, uh, I got to it. Anyway, so. <laughs> Already uh, cracking <laughs> jokes. Uh, all right. So let's actually get into some cool questions. So, uh, how have you managed your training and competitions with the vegan diet? And what are some of the misconceptions people actually hold about veganism? So as far as competitions are concerned, it's, it's never been an issue. I've only done, um, I've been a vegan again now for, you know, almost a solid year. And I've been a vegan on and off for about the last six or seven years. That bacon just keeps um, coming back to you. This sounds it? like a relationship issue here. Well, you know, the term vegan's kind of <laughs> yeah, it is kind of like a relationship issue. Um, the term vegan's kind of a term I don't really love in general. Sometimes I use it because it's easy for people to understand what it is. 
But, you know, what is even vegan? You know, you'll have some people that say if you eat a fig, you're not a vegan. And I'm like the least militant person with just about everything. So, um, you know, I've been like pescatarian for a lot of that time, which means I ate fish and um, had dairy. But, you know, for the last year or so, it's like back to the vegan diet. I've just never really been public about it because I didn't want it to bring up these poor questions from people who didn't really understand like how or why I'm doing this. And I didn't want it to be this thing that like, I'm just a vegan when it's like, no, like I'm a nutrition coach. I'm still a training coach. I'm still Josh Citron. I was still served in the army. I'm still all these other things that have nothing to do with being a <laughs> vegan. But when people find out you're a vegan, the first thing they do is they go, wait, what? What? Like, what are you? And just to kind of point this out, if you're on the YouTube video, is that Josh has a picture of a pig background, which is fairly ironic, considering you're yeah. a vegan. But I guess it's alive? So uh, it's good. alive, but it probably wasn't for very long. Yeah. That's actually Kelsey's grandfather, who's uh-huh. a farmer. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I imagine that pig was turned into some bacon it's on the probably table. probably delicious. So anyways, yeah, kind of talk about that because I think that that's a large problem that people have even with other sports. Like if you're a football player, you're just the football player. Vegan tends to be the the word of the last few years, especially with the few documentaries that have come out. So like what are some negative connotations I guess people have of you for being vegan? Uh, For one, people think like, bro, where are you going to get your protein? Yeah. Like people have this thing that you can't get protein on a vegan diet and it's just not true. Like there are tons plenty of protein sources. Now we could get super sciencey and get into like bioavailability of protein. But the thing is, if you're eating like a very well varied diet, that shouldn't be an issue. Where I could see this being an issue being like my own opposition is if you're on a very, very calorie controlled vegan diet, yeah. where you're eating very little like 1000 to 1200 calories, that's when things can start to get problematic. But you know, most people aren't. In America, most people are overweight. It's it's people need to be eating less calories. So this uh, very rarely is an issue. And I was gonna say, what are your some of your some of your go tos? Just I guess for the people out there listening, like because honestly, that's my question usually. Not that I haven't looked into, but like, what's your go to protein vegan style? Yeah, Josh style. You, you know, it's crazy. I don't even have really like a go to. I could pull up obviously my fitness pal and just tell you like on a regular basis the things I'm eating. But I guess like. I get a fair amount of, uh, you know, once a day, usually some tofu or tempeh. Um, I usually one day, one scoop a day, I'll have a like rice and pea protein powder, um, legumes, tons of legumes, lentils, nuts and seeds, and then vegetables actually have a pretty decent chunk of protein. And I know people, people are like, well, no, they don't like a serving of, uh, green peas may have like four grams. But when you eat a shit ton of vegetables <laughs> yeah. in a day, it truly adds up. Yeah, and I guess you could probably say that you know you get a two hundred and fifty pound competitive bodybuilder that might then become very difficult to get optimal protein based on the fact that a lot of vegan proteins are going to a have a lot of carbohydrate calories in them. Not all, but there's going to be more. Yes. And b the actual fiber and food volume of that same amount of protein. So. We, we know that there'll be challenges, but there's still ways to get adequate protein and to build protein is actually pretty good. I know it sounds like I've had it before just because Andrea and my wife has had it before. It's actually pretty good. 
Yeah, I mean, I take a, a blend that I get from truenutrition.com of pea and rice protein, and it, it tastes just like whey, and uh, ironically, it has a very similar amino acid profile to whey protein. So it's pretty advantageous as like a, you know, a workout isolate. Um, not that I think that that's like super important for most people, but it might be. Another one of the misconceptions that I know people will have about, uh, you know, vegan protein is that individual sources of most uh, vegetable-based proteins are going to be incomplete, missing some sort of essential amino acid. When you eat them in a combination, especially over the course of a day, it generally fixes that issue. There are a few examples, tofu being one of them, quinoa is another one that are complete technically. Can you eat crickets? No. Um, Seriously, I don't know. It's really funny you ask because like someone that I know who also works under Alex Viata, she yeah. lives here in the Des Moines area and she owns a cricket business Ooh. for like food. And she sent me a link to it and I like thought about it for a second. I was like, no, that's actually, that would like be the opposite of not eating animals. You're eating crickets that you're going to kill yourself and throw onto a, a thing. And I'm just not really that interested in eating crickets. So it's not vegan. Oh no! It's, I would. I would animals. not think that that's vegan. no. They, 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 that's an obvious one. They're definitely not vegan. I, I don't want to get into the talk about bugs and animals or animals. Fuck. Well, and it's expensive as shit too. So I guess you know what? That's great. Just eat peas. Um, we'll kind of dive into this a little bit, and you already said it. You don't approach a militant vegan person persona really. Like you're like, oh, I'm just Josh. But two questions: Do you think that this militant I guess narrative that people are pushing is helping the industry in terms of like the awareness about veganism or is it doing it a disservice and coming from someone who isn't that out there about pushing it. So like objectively, I'd like to say that they're harming, you know, the idea of veganism yeah. because it turns people off and, um, that's it. It just turns people off. Like no one wants to listen to an asshole. And you know, like I know from being a nutrition coach, I cannot get you to do something that you don't want to do, yeah. which is why I don't, although I will present food composition as goals, as ideas, as, Hey, you should try this. I will not tell someone you need to eat these foods because if they don't want to do it already, they're not going to do it. And if they do, they're going to do it for a very short amount of time. Yeah. We, we can say that about anything. And I think that militant vegans, they turn people off. Subjectively, every single idea that's ever become a success, it, it's always had its extremist per percentage in population. Yeah. And they do hit a certain, uh, n another population that people like me that are more passive never would. Yeah. So, you know, like, I am not very familiar with like YouTube figures and like who's really popular, but like I've heard of um, like vegan games. It's funny. I was just and, thinking about asking you about him. So yeah, yeah, I've heard of him and I pulled up some of his videos. And it's like, man, this guy is a, is a fucking asshole. He's a sociopath. Like, I, He's actually a sociopath. Right. And I was like, I would never want to sit at the opposite end of a table. He is not someone I would consider a good brother. And um, as much as I don't like him and I think that like overall his message probably sucks, there is a group of people he will hit. And if they don't agree with him, he might still generate a thought process, a start. Mm -hmm. And um, although I don't think I don't hold like morals on people like if you eat meat, you're a bad person. I don't think that way at all. Like I think that's a silly way of thinking. It would be cool if more people tried a lifestyle without meat. 
and I'm not going to discourage it. So, you know, if someone like him gets a few more people to give it a try, then that's what it is. And I guess, like, do you think that it's kind of taken fad diets um, status, kind of like keto? Like, is that where you see this going, or do you think it's here to stay in, in terms of its popularity? So I think that it's getting more popular just as time goes on because there is a little bit more awareness that like, hey, maybe you don't need so much protein to still be successful at your endeavors. Um, So for like athletes, for instance, I think – and I think for us three, we're starting to see it cross over into our world more because athletes are getting this this bit of awareness that like, hey, you don't need as much protein as you thought you did. Um, So in that sense, yes, it might be a fad. I don't think it's going to come and go. I just think it's going to come hard for a while and then where wherever it lands, it lands. It's going to come hard for a while, right? Sorry, bad, um, bad joke. Yeah, terrible. Um, but it, within veganism, there are plenty of fad diets going on. There's like, you know, you'll hear like the potato diet or like I just heard someone did a grape cleanse. And it's like – and then I Googled it and it's like a thing that people do. And it just – people know how to like stupefy anything. Well, you really want to get stupefied veganism. And you talk about YouTube figures. Go and check out Freely the Banana Girl. This is just, this lady is fucking that totally sounds lunch. like very she's, erotic. She's a fruitarian, so all she eats is fruit, and she's famous for eating like some like fifty bananas in one day or some crazy what? shit. Oh, she's a lunatic. You actually just gotta go and like watch five minutes of her shit. She's some. I think she's Australian. She Good just, for her, like that'd be hard. She's the an, she's the anti Holly Baxter. If anyone here listening knows or likes Holly Baxter, go back. We had her on an episode a few episodes ago. She's super. She's highly intelligent, highly educated, and then freely the banana girl is the antithesis of Holly Baxter. <laughs> Whatever you can yeah, dip your banana in. I, I mean, I think so. I've heard of like fruitarians before, and I think it's kind of. I think stuff like that is so silly to like pigeon your whole your your nutrition yeah. into like this one thing. Especially when it's like unproven. But I always wonder, like, is there stuff people could gain from this? Like, is telling someone to go on an all fruit diet as like silly and, and just small thinking as it is, like it might actually be better than how they're eating now, which is so sad. Yeah, that's the weird thing. What I see is like the problem is they'll like and I knew guys and he might be maybe he's listening, but like we're playing football, I need to lose weight for the season. I'm gonna go on the cabbage and soup diet mm. for two weeks and cleanse and you lose fifteen pounds or whatever the fuck it is. But that's a that's a positive reinforcement for stupidity, and then <laughs> right. unless they get better information, then they might do that more. So I guess on both ends of this, if it gets them better than where they're at, maybe they're going to be more motivated to do something better. But I don't know. Like there's a reason why people are still doing cleanses is because they reinforce stupidity and weight loss, and that's what they well, want. But they don't see the whole picture. Society still wants quick results and uh, that's, and simple yeah, solutions, and that is always going to be an affliction that we deal with. Um, the hope obviously is, is by putting out good information. There are a lot of people who I know interact with, work with, who are followers of the podcast, who were victims of that sort of yeah. mentality because that's the knowledge that they were presented with. And then after a while, they grew into being able to understand that that, that wasn't how it worked and they accepted the fact that they had to actually put in some dedicated effort. I guess we all go through that process though. Like, I'm not even going to go over the shit I did in college, hmm. but... I think well, <laughs> I, I definitely think that that's a common theme in, in everything we all do here, yeah. nutrition, training. <laughs> I mean, I had uh, a good example is I had an athlete who came to me, uh, early 30s, been powerlifting for about five to seven years, I would say, 
um, but constantly getting injured. So I reviewed his training history with him and what type of training did he do? Crossing. He did very, he did very high intensity, yeah, uh, high frequency training. You know, he's Crossing. squatting, deadlifting, and bench pressing heavy four or five days a week. Oh, yeah. Right. So too, I, probably. I turned the script on him and I said, we're going to actually do something new. We're going to go like much lower intensity, much higher volume. Um, we're going to drop the body part frequency a bit and we're going to play this out and see how it goes. And, you know, he had a meet just three months after we started, which I had told him, I was like, we really need at least like 22, 24 weeks to develop strength and peak you, but like, we'll make this work. He goes into his meet. He actually gets a PR on his total. It wasn't much, but it was like a forty, a twenty to forty pound PR. Um, which for someone like you, Dean, would probably be like amazing because you're an elite level, Yay. you know, lifter. But you know what? He ended up canceling with me. He canceled with me, and he said, you know, it just wasn't enough strength gain. And I wow. said, you know what, man? You just went three and a half months. You didn't get injured. You PR'd on the platform. What else could you be looking for? <laughs> he went right back to his old style of training yeah. and he messed up his SI like two months later. Oh, Sidelined. And that's unfortunate. <clears throat> you will see stuff like that. Um, and that's that correlation of like actually doing like something for long-term investment versus that short-term gain. And it's just a high-risk scenario. And I think like for some people that may work, but it's funny, like even with people on diet, with diets, things just keep popping up that don't work, but they keep going back to it. And it just, I don't know, I guess that's the kind of thought process we're trying to, I guess, open up the, the page on here is there's a better way. It might not be as sexy, but it actually works long term. And I think that yeah. people don't want that message. But people who listen to this podcast want it, Andrew. That's the hope, anyway. Well, cross our fingers. You can uh, see us knows? crossing fingers I mean, now. Like, you know, we may have absorbed somewhere along the way with some guest a legion of complete morons that are just, like, entertained by all this bullshit. <laughs> They're like, knows? fuck these guys. No, I think our average listener is, is more enlightened. I think one really valid thing that we should probably point out, too, about veganism that is completely unique is that it has a moral aspect to it, at least for a lot of the people who, who eat it. And I think that is probably why... It will have enduring appeal to a large group of people there's in a way that's something like there's no morality in keto, or if you can find some, then there's something strange going on in your brain, or or intermittent fasting. But veganism, obviously, you know, like care and concern for animals, and a, and a lot of I think the the Milton stuff can come from that very positive place, even if it can at times have negative effects. I mean, what's the morality in the, what is it, the carnivore, the all-meat diet, which my best friend does, and holy sweet mother of God, that's interesting to say the least. Well, you're saving plants, obviously. Yeah, which is the animal's food. Yeah, but you're saving the forest. Oh, well, I guess. Okay. And then you're killing animals who don't eat the plants. Total moral value there. Well, if we really want to go down this Josh rabbit hole. Like, what the fuck? <clears throat> if we really want to go down this rabbit hole, everybody's talking about climate change, and we're not getting it on. <laughs> Where does this go to climate change? It, I'll explain. Okay is everybody's like in Canada there's this big fight over carbon taxes it's driving our, our gas prices up and chances are all these political parties that are pushing the shit are going to get erased next election and, and fuck them get rid of them <laughs> there's my politics whoops I went there but really what puts out more co2 is actually all of the uh, the, the beef cattle that's out there that actually produces more co2 than all these car emissions so it's morally right to kill animals. No, it would, uh, it would morally, in that sense, for the climate, it would be better if we were less reliant upon beef, ag oh. beef ranching. Like domesticating. Ah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so if we reduced our reliance upon beef consumption around the world, then we would actually have a much greater impact on climate change. I use quotation marks there. Uh, <laughs> climate change than uh, 
what we would be able to by reducing uh, the oh. amount of cars on the road. That's it. Guys, there's three of us here. We're smart guys. Mm-hmm. The climate change diet. Or how would you put that? We could totally sell that. Sorry. Mm, no, that, that would backfire because then hardcore conservatives would okay, go the other it. way. Hit him with the BMI question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is going. I, I thought I had a good idea, and you guys just didn't say anything. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So I, I actually pulled this one off your social media because you recently made a post about how BMI would be better received if categorized in terms of three sort of blocks of risk of cardiovascular disease. And BMI is easily criticized. People like to. Oh, the fucking bitch and whine about it. And they also like to devalue it when, in fact, it is still a fairly useful metric under certain circumstances. I'm going to say something that's a little blunt here. That people won't like to hear, but a lot of the reason why people will complain about BMI is because they're kind of hiding from the fact that they are carrying too much weight in terms of their health. Like, want to be kind about it, but that's true. And that's why they balk against it. So... Let's elaborate on your thoughts on BMI and categorizing it differently. Yeah, so um, I actually don't remember exactly what I had said in the post in terms of my classifications, but I think it was something along the lines of maybe people would accept it better if it was like at risk for cardiovascular disease or at higher risk for cardiovascular disease, at lower risk for cardiovascular disease rather than underweight, you know, a proper weight or overweight slash obese. Um, Like you said, I think most people don't like BMI because most people try to avoid the inconvenient truth. And the inconvenient truth is like, you carry too much weight for your organs to properly handle for optimal health. And that is somewhat relative, but not nearly as much as people think when we're looking at mass populations. So I can use myself as an example. I am five foot seven, I am currently 192 pounds. That places me, I believe, either overweight or obese. Many parts of the year, I'm in the obese category. And it's up to me to understand that even if my body fat percentage is 12% or less, it doesn't fucking matter. Like there is going to be a relative uh, stressor put on my heart and other organs because I'm carrying around more weight. Now, is it better that I have some muscle and not as much fat? Absolutely. But with a lot of these individuals, what we have to come back to and remember is to get to that level of high muscle and and at that low body fat, a lot of them are going to be using supplements that are harmful for the cardiovascular system and organs. Therefore, it's going to be a net negative. And, you know, that is a very small percentage, but a lot of times that's the percentage that's arguing with yeah. us. And that's realistic. And I think that was Alex Fiat, did he jump in on the post? There was a few of them anyways. And it was just like body weight is you're still carrying around more weight, regardless of whether it's muscle or fat. And like that still stresses the system in some form or fashion, good or bad. Yes. Well, these sort of discussions are far from black and white because you have to account for all of the varied factors that contribute to someone's health. You have someone who is creeping into obesity technically by weight. They're very muscular. They're very lean. Their overall health behaviors are very positive. That person is probably going to score really excellent in terms of the likelihood of them having a, a long and healthy life compared to someone who's within normal body weight range higher percentage of body fat, they're inactive, their diet sucks, maybe they just have a a better metabolism, they burn through it, they're eating 
a preponderance of low quality food, even though their calories are within their maintenance range. And they're just a sedentary type of person. So I'll take <laughs> the more muscular physique any day. Uh, you get into extremes of muscularity. And yes, I mean, like I've got a whole bunch of buddies who are around 300 pounds, uh, strong men or just big, big, big dudes, Highland Games guys. And these guys all have sleep apnea, right? All of them. So they all have to wear that breathing mask. Right? Well, it, the funny thing is with these types of things is I think that the people looking and I guess arguing, like you said, on the extremes of it, they just don't want to admit, you know what I mean? Like someone who is actually like healthy and like lean, but not like super jacked and huge and can't sleep. Those are the guys that are arguing like, oh, it says I'm overweight, but kind of they are. They have sleep apnea and they're fucking dying. Right. Even though they're huge and they, that you can see kind of remnants of a six pack, that's, that's, they're arguing the BMI for that one variable when really they know. They know that they're right. not in and, the best health. Yeah, and I, you know, once again, and I, it's easy to use myself as an example because I fell into that category. Yeah. Although I was not um, ignorant to the fact that, like, it was important that my BMI was was high. The risk. Um, I had hypertension. Yeah, and I'm mm. like, when I got first got told I had hypertension, like, look, I'm in my mid twenties. I'm a quote unquote athlete. Uh, I'm a very active individual, and I preach health. Yet I have hypertension, like. WTF, yeah. right? Mm. So I could sit there and I could say, no, this BMI is really stupid. Or I can start looking at the facts and realize like, you know, putting correlations together and just being like, okay, you probably weigh too much. Maybe it won't hurt to go for a run outside and eat a little less calories. And, and then they have that conversation <laughs> with themselves and they're like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Just be realistic about it. Know that there's a higher risk involved with that. Don't argue the system saying it's fucked. It, it might be a little fucked <laughs> for some of the outliers, but like generally it's it's probably a yeah. fairly good and indicator. I think What also, percentage oh, are those outliers? Like you I mean, guys, I want to hear what you would just guess off the top of your head. I would say like a 0.5%. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I this, this goes to my next point is that we're talking about a very small piece of the population and i think most of these people probably aren't complaining about bmi the no they're, they're are, the six foot five skinny guys no, who like the, literally don't give a fuck no the people who are complaining about bmi and again i'll be very careful with my words because anyone who's ever listened to me knows i'm very conscientious thoughtful about you know weight and and people's feelings those people are the ones who are they are overweight they are carrying too much body fat it is posing a health risk and it is emotionally upsetting to be confronted with a piece of information. Now, maybe the way that piece of information is being presented isn't being presented in a thoughtful or sensitive way. And we have this discussion in our industry about, you know, kindness and sensitivity and where's the line. And, and I, I don't think it's ever valuable to be blunt and unkind with people in confronting with the fact that you're facing health risk because of your weight. But BMI seems to be this little like trigger point for some people that upsets them because it tells them something that they don't tell them the hear. truth. Then some of those same people will make that the argument, which is complete fucking bullshit. That oh, it doesn't come from muscle mass. No, my dear friend, I'm I'm very sorry, but you're carrying too much body fat. It is posing a long term health risk, and your BMI is telling you that you're in a danger zone. So it's upsetting people by confronting them with information that is emotionally uncomfortable for them. And what's the percentage? I have no goddamn clue. I think Josh knows. Well, Josh, do you know? I don't What? Know. I thought you were I asking us Well, these... actually, we, we have I, we have obesity statistics. I don't have, like, no, I don't off the top of my head, but we're talking about, like, what? Is it as many as 50% of Americans are technically now overweight? Is that summary? Because that's, that's based on BMI. 
And it would be a very tiny percentage of them that are muscular, lean people. I wish I could speak on it because I don't know the answer, but I know that most of the people bitching about it are like usually like huge individuals that are like, <laughs> ath- like they they work out and shit, but like mm. they could lose a bit. But that's that's also the people in that a weird, are- blunt way. Like you know what I mean? If I see if I see the people argue on the internet, it's like I don't know. Anyways, fuck. I get I get what you're both saying. Um, you know, you're saying, Andrew, that that's just who we see. That's who falls in our circle. Mm. And you're right. And and Dean, I agree with you, too. Those are the people I see complaining about it. The people who are training, uh, who have been training for five to ten years, who have maybe this decent amount of muscle mass, but they're also overweight and they could stand to lose some weight yeah. if health is something that they are concerned with. And usually they're not. But that's like, I guess the whole point of this conversation is to like make people, like you said, question. Even the fact that people are arguing about it will kind of put a little seed in their brain that maybe they'll reach out to someone to like, mm. hey, I need to lose 10 pounds. Hey, Josh, <coughs> Citron, do you know how to do that? Yes, my friend, I do. And then they either take it or they won't. Well, I actually, yeah. it goes back to his original post and you had said in the post, the three categories uh, would have been low cardiovascular risk, moderate yeah. cardiovascular risk, and high cardiovascular risk. And quite frankly, I think that's fantastic because now BMI, the words obesity and overweight, they've taken on a bit of stigma and it upsets some people. I think if you characterize it in terms of health risk, perhaps it will... How hard do you people. breathe when you go up a flight of stairs? Basically. Yeah, and I mean, that you're right. And that's exactly why I changed the wording to that. Yeah. Is because once that stigma was lifted, people get less offended and they get more concerned. Mm. Oh, shit. I'm at high risk for cardiovascular disease. Um, And maybe they'll start to try to understand why. Are there, and this is just based on your experience, because I know you deal with a lot of clients through Strong You. Are there any other trigger points you've kind of had to reword to kind of make people at least buy into the fact that there might be some actual good information in some of the, the foundational terms that people get triggered by? Does that make sense? Because you've dealt with a lot of clients and there's some things that are hot topics that might you might need to reword. I think I would need to hear examples of the topics to give you examples of how I might need to reword them. Yeah. Um, but I have learned in my career, one of the biggest lessons is that you've got to have different hats for, for different people. Um, you just can't speak to everyone the same way. And if you are, you better damn be rated PG and be very careful mm. about the words you use yeah. because a lot of people, uh, for better or worse, with like no morality on it, have thin skin and get easily offended and are very emotional thinkers. And that's okay. Um, you have to be know how to reach these people or you will not be successful. And I think that this kind of leads into our next point is um, you seem very passionate about coaching and like that's quite evident. And so you said that you have a passion for helping professionals be better at being professionals and help clients be better clients. Can you kind of explain the why behind this and how you kind of approach it in your, I guess, career? Right. So, um, yeah, it's interesting, especially with like talking about professionals and professionals. One thing I want to make clear, I am not a coach's coach. I will never be a coach's coach. Um, but Using my experience, I can help my fellow good brothers and good sisters by saying, hey, this is what worked for me, and I have been maybe where you are right now, and this is how I got here. And the first big thing, and it was a lesson taught to me by fitness professional David Crump, 
Um, if he happens to hear this, he's the owner of Spark Fitness in Orlando. He's speaking at the NCSA's big like international conference this year, um, I believe in October. Um, he, I was working for him. He sat me down. I came into his office. I'm bitching about one thing or another that's going on in my life. And he said, Josh, this is like the 10th time I've heard you have this similar situation with someone else. He said, do you know what the constant is? <laughs> it's you. He said, you're the problem. And, uh, yeah, was I pissed? I walked out of that office so pissed. And um, I was like, fuck that guy, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> but, the, you know, the fact is he was telling the truth, you know. And the, we all have this delusion, especially, especially young 20 to 25-year-old males. <laughs> um, we, a lot of us think, like, our moral compass is very skewed. We think we're white knights. We think we're the good guys. And we might have good intentions, but a lot of us have piss poor execution. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, I, I was definitely one of those guys and I see that reoccurring. And unfortunately I see it happening with a lot of people older than the 20 to 25 crowd. <laughs> right. That's where it's a really big problem is like when you're like 30 something and you're still just screwing around and, um, anything I can do to help these people realize like what they're, they're hurting themselves and they're, they're hurting their potential to move forward. I would love to do. Uh, another one is people who are on the grind. We hear that all the time. You got to grind. Mode, yeah. And I, right. I've been that guy too. At one point I worked at three different fitness studios in three different cities and I barely had enough money to put the gas in my car to get there. Um, you've got to focus on what you're good at, put all your heart into that, but also make sure that you're taking care of yourself because, you know, when we talk about the whys, like, why do you even work? Why are you doing what you do? Um, I have a fiance that I love, dogs that I love, things that I love to do. And if I'm not making sure that those things are being taken care of, the rest of it's fucked. Like, end of story. We, I see this with my clients. And this is what I try to speak to my clients about, about being better clients, is figuring out who you actually are and do your goals fall in line with who you are. Because if not... When you get to that goal, you're going to realize all that time you spent getting to where you wanted to was time wasted and you might not like the person you've become or it has not solved the original problem. Well, and a lot of people, and I, I, I don't want to say I see this because that might, a lot of people will kind of fall into that pattern of doing things that don't align with who they are but they're unwilling to give up on that because they've invested this time chasing the wrong dream and they'll just keep <clears> pushing forward. And I think that comes with, I guess, having that deeper conversation with yourself or talking to someone who can kind of talk you through that process. And I don't want to say that people should drop their dreams if, if it's the wrong, but I mean, you should take a real hard look and evaluate, are my efforts going towards the real end goal as opposed to wasting time here? Because it's going to hurt more if you switch later. And that's usually the truth. So What's another thing outside of training and nutrition that that 100% could be applied to? Career. Career. So, um, houses. Chasing. Relationships. Um, cars. Uh, absolutely. And, and when I say career, I, also sure. mean, I When I say career, I <clears throat> definitely mean education. Let's say it's someone who puts two years into medical school and the money involved with it, and then they hate it, but they go through it because of the, the bills. There's a concept in business. I have a Bachelor of Commerce degree, and it's called a sunk cost. Maybe a lot of people have heard it. Maybe not, but... <clears throat> we I make like de- we make decisions based on, and this is irrational, of money that we've already put into something. Yeah. That money's and that time, sunk cost refers to both. 
that's never coming back. None of that is. So we continue to pour more time and more money into something that doesn't make us happy, that is going to cost us more money in the end because we have this idea that what we've already committed to it means that we have to continue. The actual correct road to take is to stop right in your tracks and say, I'm not going to go any further. I'm not going to commit any more time or money to this particular pursuit, whatever it is. And I'm going to go in a direction that makes me happy or that's going to be more long-term viable. But that's the hard part. you got to figure out what that is. And usually people with their sunk costs intuitively know because they're stressed the fuck out. But they won't actually go un- unwrap that stuff of what that actually is. And I guess that, that, that does apply for relationships, career, fitness, nutrition. Fuck. What's your solution yeah. to that? Like what, what's – how is – because I know you deal with – we'll just stick with the nutrition realm because and the fitness realm. How have you dealt with that? Because like that's got to pop up a lot. It happens so often. And what I try to do is when I initially start with someone, I try to make sure that the goal – you know, it's funny because like you when you meet someone, you only know as much as you know right then and there. And people very rarely show you who they are in initial confrontation and initial conversation. So it usually takes me at the very least a few weeks to really know like does this person's goal actually match – who they are, and if not, are they actually trying to become this person and is it realistic? Because a lot of times we forget that. Like, you are who you are, but it's not who you have to be for the rest of your life if you don't want it to be. So figuring all that out always takes minimum a few weeks, and if I think someone's just fucked, I'll tell them. I'll just (laughs) tell them, um, hey, listen, we need to have a conversation and it's going to be a hard conversation and you're not going to like what I say, but it's 100% in your best interest. And something I try to, to, to just reassure my clients is that like, I've been through this. Millions of other people have been through this. Uh, you're not alone and it's not going to feel good, but I want you to tell me how you feel so we can talk about it more. And about half the time it works, about half the other time they want to keep pursuing their goal which sucks because, you know, eventually they come around. Well, it's like a lot of people that we deal with. They have to arrive at these things in their own time. And anyone listening who is struggling with anything, who is thinking about getting coached or trained or currently does, the things that work, or or the coaches certainly that are listening to us because our fitness professional audience, people will be successful when they make decisions for themselves, when things are ultimately their choice. A really effective coach is going to help lead someone to that destination. But we as coaches do not work very well when we are telling people what they should do. They really do need to arrive at that point of their own decision. So what I like to do as a coach is one, ask a lot of questions. And uh, sometimes the questions might even be misdirect, like a misdirect question. Like I ask them a question about something which helps them arrive to a different conclusion, which is fucking awesome when that happens. Yeah, exactly. And then um, the other thing is uh, giving people options. So sometimes rather than saying, hey, you got to do this, you could be like, hey, you can do this or you can do this or you can do this. And this kind of makes them feel like they're still in control, but you're giving them a suggestion without shoving it down their throat, without saying like, hey, this is what you're doing. This is what I think you should do. You're saying, hey, there's these few other things you can try and kind of lay it out for them and let them come to the decision to give it a try. And when they will, you know, I can use my uh, fiance for an example. She doesn't like lifting weights and I've tried to get her to the gym a few, few times. 
it's never turned out well. <laughs> but when she comes to me eventually and says like, hey, you know, maybe coming to, coming to you to the gym is a good idea. Well, bam, we've got a winner. Like now it might actually happen. Absolutely. You can listen to this podcast today. You could go work out on your own or you can go for a bike with me. And each one of those is going to give her one of those options. Yeah. Um, we wanted to ask Josh about <clears throat> pro, a- pro wrestling, his love for pro wrestling. We've had some guests on here that uh, have a passion for that. Uh, Dean Somerset has a actual belt that he had me that's like WWE style that's yeah, in his yeah. basement of champions. And he'll bring it into the gym and let his clients have it on days, I think, where they like do personal bests and shit like that. So he's he's a total geek when it comes to wrestling. So you actually spent some time performing as a wrestler as well. Uh, now, that life, that's eh, pretty far from glamorous at times, especially on the local uh, circuit. Could you explain some of the physical and mental rigors of that life? Hidden, yeah, hidden, so hidden dangers. So re- Let me finish my fucking question. <laughs> and uh, why someone like yourself loves doing it anyway? Yeah, well, we'll start with that. Like the reason why wrestling. I just came to this conclusion like a month ago. I was watching <laughs> a movie called um, Shit. What was it called? It was with Sean William Scott and Paul Rudd. Oh, um, what the hell was that? <sighs> They're like not tutors. They're like. I don't know what they are, but they're like watching after these kids, and one of the kids LARPs. Do you guys know what LARPs? I, I know. Is? Fuck it. This is gro- is this grown ups? Online shit. Online video. No, it's stuff. not grown ups. <gasps> I know which one you're talking about. They were LARPing, and it was like still- yeah. So <sighs> LARPing for those of you that don't know is when you like go out in a field and dress up like a knight, all right, and you pretend to fight. And when I was in the army, there was a guy in my unit who LARPed, and I thought it was the craziest shit. I was like, "You are weird. This is crazy." Um, you know, you pretend to be a knight and you go in a field and you fight each other to the death. This is just stupid. Role model. And, uh, what? Role models. Role models. Yes. Yes. Role models. Terrible movie, but go watch it. (laughs) Um, so I just came to the conclusion like a month ago, like, holy shit, uh, wrestling is the exact same thing as LARPing. And and the people that love it, love it. And uh, the other thing I thought of was like Trekkies. Like these people who love Star Trek and they go to like these conventions and they meet all the people and they're, they're fucking weird. Right. But like wrestling fans are equally as weird, if not weirder. And, uh, it took me a while to realize this, that I am just weird as shit. So people who want to be wrestlers more often than not are just the extreme of that weirdness. I guarantee you guys, you ask anyone who's a big wrestling fan, like Dean, I bet if we said to Dean, like, hey, did you ever consider becoming a professional wrestler? The answer would be yes. Yeah, and yes. A lot of them a lot of them will say, you know, I've even thought about it recently, but like I'm too <laughs> old or this or that. I hear it all the time. Wrestling fans are just the extreme. It's this fake world. It's really just like anything else, like a good story, a good book, a good speech. It's good versus evil. Um, there's always some stupid plot. And it's more about playing into the crowd than the actual moves itself, right? It's about selling, pulling the people in, getting them invested into the story. And um, wrestling is the furthest thing from glamorous, Hmm. which, you know, much like anything else, people tend to put up these fronts that, you know, they're doing well. They're these wildly successful professional wrestlers. Meanwhile, you're like, Going from high school gymnasium to high school gymnasium, sometimes not even being paid, uh, sometimes worse, getting paid like $10, which is like, you know, fuck you. Uh, let me go put gas in my car to get to the next town. And um, it, it hurts. 
it's extremely painful. It's, um, <laughs> there's no other way to like around it. Like you're beating the shit out of each other for the audience's fun. And, you know, of course there's like ways where you try to make it not hurt as much, but you know, the ring is made from, you've got a mat, you've got a bunch of plywood and you've got some canvas on top of it. Taking a basic back bump, which is like the most basic shit you could do. It's like going in a gym and doing a bench press. Um, it's what you learn, like the first thing in the ring. That is the most painful thing on the planet. <laughs> like it hurts. I've so, got a couple of buddies who are just super passionate about it that, uh, that either are still or used to do this wrestling stuff. And one guy had dreams of making the WWE. And of course, he obviously had Wayne the Rock Johnson is the biggest thing in Hollywood right now is a success largely coming out of that. But you could also watch a movie like The Wrestler and see some of the... See the shit that he's talking see about. See the real shit. I don't know if anybody's seen right? that. Or if you haven't, actually go see it. It's a really good movie. Mickey Rourke's really great in it. It's he is, and um, that movie was one of the main reasons why I actually got out of wrestling. Was because I did not... That story of The Wrestler, every time I would wrestle at a show that had any reputable names on it, we would have one to five of those guys on that show. And they were going through all of that shit. Yeah. Because they never let go of that. Because it was the one thing they kind of had. It was like their mistress. And I told myself, hey, Josh, even if you ever did get to the WWE, unless you had the smartest exit plan on the planet, this is what you would become. And that is scary as shit. And then if you really want to take this to a nasty place, and if anyone knows anything about wrestling, just look at the graveyard of former famous pro wrestlers who died far before their time. Yeah. You could you could come up with a lot of names on that list, a lot of guys. And, and we know also, too, or at least in anyone who pays attention to stuff, there's a lot of alcohol. Uh, there's a lot of uh, abuse of your body, as you alluded to, which leads to painkillers, taking well, a lot of drugs. There is very a lot of steroid use in that world, at least there used to be, and there probably still is, which you combine that with uh, recreational drug use, cocaine use, uh, lots of alcohol, painkillers, that stuff is going to add up to shortening your lifespan. Have you seen the Jake the Snake documentary? Uh, I think it's like reinventing Jake the Snake. No, I, think. I haven't seen it. So it's on Netflix, and it basically goes to like how Jake the Snake basically just plummeted, alcoholism, all sorts of shit. Um, body's fucking broken, and he goes to Diamond Dallas's pages... Um, his like retreat and then he takes him under his wing and then just shows like that he literally like mentors like five previously addicted wrestlers and kind of builds them back up and it kind of goes in the history of similar things that the the wrestler was about and just kind of goes into all their backstories and like how hard it is to climb out of that hole when you still have the dream of being a wrestler even though you physically can't and like you're fucked up and there's no opportunities that's a hard pill to swallow and I think that's the biggest thing that you see with ex-athletes is that idea that there has to be something else. You know, uh, the first person to really open up my mind to that thought process, I'm going to probably uh, jack up his name, is Jay Nira, the Canadian Canadian powerlifter. And I was listening to an interview with him, and they it might have been like before or after his injury, I can't really remember. And they said something about him being a powerlifter, and he kind of like stopped, and he was like, well, I'm not a powerlifter. He's like, I'm an athlete who happens to be powerlifting. And they were like, asked him to dive deeper into that and he explained he said one day I'm not going to be able to be a powerlifter anymore and he said if I define myself as a powerlifter you know basically what he said is that's going to lead to a very shitty future Mm -hmm. when I can't do this anymore and um, 
I have that kind of mentality with everything. Like, don't let one activity or thing define you because what happens the day you cannot, you know, you can no longer do that. Well, it, I think that we had similar stories. Like, mine was football, but I did that same shit. It's just like when you define your life by a certain, I guess, image, and like I didn't get drafted, so it was like it was pretty cut and dry. Like, you're done. I played out my college years, but like, what do you do after? I was like, I'm going to play or I'm going to do powerlifting. Then I was a powerlifter, and then I realized you're just chasing the same shit. You gotta read, not redefine yourself, but find something else. And I guess it goes down to that why, but that whole ability of creating a personality based on a very weak pillar, such as a sport, which if you get injured, you're out of, is a very poor strategy for, I guess, long-term happiness. Yeah, but I think a lot of people, that's the only way they personally feel they can mm -hmm. make themselves feel significant. And, the, and I think that's a big driving force to a lot of this is significance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have found in my career working with many men is a, lo a lot of this is driven by daddy issues. <laughs> um, as crazy as that sounds, I have major daddy issues. And uh, when I started being more vocal about it, because men are very quiet about these type yeah. of things, I found out a lot of other men in the fitness industry, in competitive strength sports, also had the exact same experience. Well, and we kind of talked, we won't go into great depth about this, but in Kansas City is that daddy-mummy issues, but something that's unpacked from your past actually has influenced your choices up into a certain point. And once you kind of figure that out, you get this big aha moment, be like, this is what I was doing. Fuck, that was stupid. And ha you, you probably would make better decisions in hindsight if you knew, but that's not the learning process. But I think that if people can go through that learning process and then kind of put a break in it and make better decisions, I think that that's where the real healing comes in. Not that wrestling's bad or football's bad, but it's bad if it doesn't work out. For real. Yeah, 100% abs absolutely. And um, it's funny you mentioned that like you have to go through that learning process. That is one of the things with my clients I try to preach so often yeah. with nutrition is like you're probably going to fall on your face 50 times before you get up to run an appreciable distance and that's okay because you need to do that. If that doesn't happen, like it's going to happen. And uh, people expect perfection out the gate when they come to work with a professional like myself. They think, oh, I signed up with a fit, uh, nutrition coach, so I'm going to be lean and ripped in three to six months, and I'm never going to have to worry about food again. And it's like, whoa, you are so far from the case right now. Um, and let's, it's, it's important. Let's talk stronger you. So basically the company you work for, and kind of we talk about this, you fitness coach, you nutrition coach, you do all these things, but that's through stronger you a lot of it. And we have kind of seen this great business model with essentially passionate coaches like yourselves. And a lot of them have a lot of successful clients. I guess that's why it got so big. So tell us more about, I guess, Stronger You and why this works so well with you and your clientele. So uh, Stronger You, what it allows a coach like myself to do is never have to worry about sales and focus 100% of my time on my clients. I don't have to worry about, and when I say sales, it's not about the dollar. It's about the taking the time to market. Yeah. I don't need to do that. I can just focus 100% on my clients and their needs. And because of that extra time, I can really give them what they need. It's uh, working for Stronger You has been a remarkable experience. I've been with them for just over a year and a half and the company has grown like tenfold in that time. Um, we have a very diverse roster of coaches. I believe there's well over 30 coaches now. I was one of the first like seven, I think, to be working for them. 
Um, and a lot of the coaches come from different backgrounds and bring just uh, different vibes to the brand, which is awesome because the coaches are pretty tightly connected and we're constantly learning from one another. There is no competitive branch, or if there is, I'm very unaware of it. Um, so we're all consistently growing as professionals. And I think that that is so, so important. Like one of the things that I think is just crushing the industry is people actually think that we're true competitors when we're not. And we should all be able to share our practices together and grow and develop as, as one big, you know, unit or family. Abundance mindset. Oh yeah, totally. As opposed to, you know, the zero sum game attitude. I've written about this sort of thing before and occasionally you'll see, I did a post, a couple posts about this a while ago where the company I used to work for, um, some of the coaches there took my old client list at a couple different junctures and then they contacted all my client list. So that, uh, first of all, didn't work out for them. They didn't make a dollar off that. But again, I took the high road and I, I did post about it, but I basically said, you know, like we don't have to, you know, to try to steal from each other, all this sort of thing. In the end, it, it backfired on them terribly. And uh, I won't get into some of the specifics of what that turnaround it did, but let's just say that the company well, is, uh, and has lost a lot of coaches and trainers, uh, in the, in the wake of that and several other major well, things. And one of the things about mindset is, and, and Mike, Mike kind of spoke on this when we were at Kansas City, but you guys have all kind of reinforced that is that idea of coaching, giving all you have to that is, is kind of a, a kind of cool business model. You're almost going the opposite of everything and giving everyone almost unlimited amount of time to reach that goal. And that must feel pretty good as a coach to work for a company like that. Cause then you can focus on coaching, which in an ideal world, if you're a coach and you love coaching, you don't want to deal with all that other shit anyways. Cause you want to just work. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't think I would ever want to be a business owner. I would never want to have to start my own company or do any of that. Um, not that I'm too good for marketing or trying yeah. to do sales, but if it's something I don't need to think about, well, holla fucking Louia, like more time for my clients and actually helping them. And you know, coaching is an ever evolving practice. I don't think anyone ever reaches like master splinter level coaching <laughs> um you know it's just the truth i i'm a better coach than i was a year ago and a better than i was a year before so i need time to actually keep you know coaching and getting better at it so the more focus i can put on that um the better do you have any advice for and we do have a lot of fitness professionals that are looking to kind of dive into the space um do you think companies like this is a better avenue for the people who like literally are going to just crumble under the fact of owning their own business? Like, like, I guess, I don't know what my question is. Is this the way to go or is, or do you think that the other stresses will make them better having their own company? I definitely don't think you can start like, especially if you're new to the game, let's yeah. say you can't, who are you to start a company? Like, where's your company going to yeah. go if you have zero experience? But at the same time, trying to work for a reputable brand might be hard if you have no experience at all. Yeah. So my best advice, because very few people are coming like right out of high school or college and they're like, bam, I'm going to be a nutrition or a training coach, yeah. um, is keep doing what you're doing. Start doing that stuff on a smaller scale or interning. And interning is a great thing to do, especially in the training world. Um, I'm, I've interned under many people and I think it's definitely the way to go. Um, do that part-time until eventually you can make it a full-time thing. Um, and then working for a bigger brand, working under a better coach, 
there's always someone better than you you could be learning from. End of story. Um, and then eventually, if you have your own deal, if you have your own gimmick, if you have your own mindset and a different way of approaching things that your company maybe isn't jiving with, then go you know, on your own future endeavors. I think that's good advice too, just because, like you said, a lot of people come in and they just want it all right away. And it goes back to that quick fix mentality and that for all of us, it takes, it takes a long time to like grind it out and figure it out. And it's, there's very few overnight successes that jump right into the industry. And that's that extremism part of it. And that's not a good goal to have if you're looking for a long-term success. It's sort of the thought occurred to me, and you, you mentioned Mike, and should point out Mike Dola, who is the oh, yeah. the creator of Stronger You. Uh, we spent some time talking with him, Kansas City. We're going to make a point of getting him on the podcast in the not too distant future. We've also had Nick Sorrell, who's one of the coaches, there. and Robbie Farlow is still with you guys as well, right? Robbie yes. Farlow still on. Yes, Stronger? yeah. yeah so I actually great. just spoke to him yesterday. Yeah, so Robbie's great. I love the guy to death. And so Robbie and Nick, so we've, you're actually the third Stronger You coach that has actually guested on our podcast. Accidentally. So yeah, and it's it's, it's organic. I kind of met you guys all sort of through the same sort of network uh, where I met you guys first last year, all three of you, at the old, the Kansas City Fit Summit. But if anyone's interested who is especially a fan of what Josh is doing in the Stronger You brand, we've got these two episodes that we previously did. Pivot here. You mentioned, we mentioned earlier about not being competitive. Funny enough, Mike Isertel, who is one of the creators of Renaissance Periodization, actually mentioned Mike and Stronger You in a very kind light in our last episode. So if you're listening now, last week's episode is Mike Isertel, Spencer Nadolsky, and Brian Cron. But it came up in there how Mike doesn't view you guys as competition, he would be thrilled to see people go to you. He views, he explicitly said Dr. Oz and the charlatans and the people are perpetuating bullshit as the competition. He sees all of us as being part of the same mission. he said that he would send his parents to Mike. That he did say that, right? So it's funny. That's what I use as a measuring stick is I would not (laughs) let you train someone if I would not let you train my mother. That's actually the best measuring stick you could probably use. That's a good one. I'll remember that. Now, um, good moral value to live. <laughs> sure. Would you put your parents on veganism? Uh, Ooh. uh yeah, I nice. actually would, because it would be a net positive for their life and their health for good. them. Good answer. There, good answer. All right. So we actually we've got a couple. No, let's, we let's last week we didn't actually, actually for book recommendations because we had the roundtable. So, um, yeah, it's been a few weeks. So do you have a book recommendation that has been influential to you personally or professionally to share? Yes, I actually have a list. So let me pull that up. But I will specifically name, you know, the one that I, I think sure. most people wouldn't read. Sure, go for uh, it. You can say your yeah, list. So, so just give me one second because I'll jack up the name of this one. I love All the right. fact he has a list. This is Andrew he, likes he, you now. He, he prepared. No, he, oh, I have, he prepared for I this. have. I have a list. So the uh, number one book, pulling it up, the title is No is a Four-Letter Word. Loading, 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 loading. No is a Four-Letter Word, How I Failed Spelling But Succeeded in Life by author Chris Jericho, professional wrestler, <laughs> lead singer of Fozzie, movie star, and TV show oh star. God. So... <clears throat> hey, right. he's been on Dancing with the Stars, man. That's a big deal. What was his so, move again? His move was what? the fucking... What was the his Walls move? of Jericho. Yeah. Now, this is why I like this book. He has rules that he basically lives by and that he feels have made him successful. And he breaks them down by song titles. 
by um, movie stars or roles in movies. And for anyone who digs pop culture, it's like really easy to just read the rule and then just laugh out loud because you know exactly what he's talking about. And uh, he actually is an extremely successful individual in a few different areas. So it's interesting to hear his take. Now, I, I usually don't re- recommend audiobooks, but he narrates his own audiobook. Sweet. Um, <clears throat> which, like, you know, if you're going to do it, do it yourself. So I totally dig that. So I do recommend you buy his audiobook. Well, I might do that because I can do most everything. Does he do, like, wrestling right stuff? Like, he's like, hey, brother. Does he, like, talk in um, wrestling in his voice? <laughs> Every single wrestler does a little bit of wrestling stuff and just about everything they do. I have to say that being a professional wrestler carried over to a lot of the successes in my career here. So I definitely do not regret the time being a professional wrestler. That actually explains why you talk the way you do in like in a positive way because you've done it in front of crowds with the character. This is great. Yeah. I mean, um, so I've mentioned to both of you guys, my favorite aspect of my job is uh, doing seminars. Yeah. And for Stronger You, that is like, other than being a coach, my primary role is I do, I host most of the seminars. And speaking in front of uh, large audiences, I love because it's like putting on a show. Um, I've said it many times. Uh, people say, well, what do you want to talk about? I say, hey, we could talk about dog shit. I don't care. I will get them interested, especially in person. It's a little harder when mm-hmm. it's like, just audio or, you know, it's typing on a computer. Oh my gosh. It can get very hard to get your message across, but in person making eye contact, uh, selling yourself, just being a little bit more of a hyped version of yourself. It just goes over huge and it all comes down to confidence. Do you come out with ring music to your seminars? I should. Yeah. Like that's, I just gave you that. You totally should. You know, um, I talked to Tim Arndt. I'm probably mispronouncing no, his that's name. Right. Yeah, no, Tim, oh, that's oh, right. You got it yes. right. Yep. Um, so the last conversation him and I have, he wants me to come speak at his summit next April, I believe. Yeah, and, I told uh, him, I told him that the, to talk to you about that because yeah, Tim's a friend, and I was there in Spokane, and I'll throw it, I'll plug it again. The Inland Empire uh, Fitness Conference is what it's called. And he did a really great job with it. It's his second year. He just did it. And it's my intent to go next year, assuming that everything lines up. Featuring Josh Citro. How how does it go? Now now that you've said that, my idea, because the topic he wants me talking about is how professional wrestling made me a better fitness professional. And I don't want to give away that talk now because I can do the whole thing just by talking. (laughs) He's been preparing your whole life for it. But I am going to come out to theme music. And you need and to be wearing, wearing trunks. Theme. I'm going to let you announce. Wearing trunks. Wearing trunks. I'll do that. Yeah. You know, you, if you guys follow me on Instagram, you know I don't mind yeah. being, standing up in, in my underwear. I, I do it all the time. That would be fucking sick. All right. Now I'm pumped. More, more books on the list. Anything else? Um, you get yeah, one more. Yeah. You only get one. If you're going to pick one other one. doesn't get Your favorite. It just has to be your favorite. Man search for meaning. Nice. Okay, you know what? That one's come up before because uh, Mark Fisher talks about that one. For a guy who pretty much has read everything that has ever been written in the history of humankind, which is a bit of exaggeration, um, <clears throat> Mark really picks that book as his favorite and most influential. So it's still on my list. I haven't gotten around to it yet, but I really should move it up. So I hear it's Victor Frankel is the author. Right? Okay, right. Yes, Victor Frankel. Um Let's give you the, where do people find you? How can people get a hold and consume everything you and how do they go about understanding what you come from? 
Um, so you can find me on Facebook, you know, the facebook.com slash josh.citron.50. I don't know why it's five zero, but five zero. Um, Instagram name is Josh Stronger You. Too easy. If you want to talk to me, just reach out. I have people send me messages via Instagram and Facebook all the time that I've never met, which end up being some stellar conversations. And uh, I love to talk. So all you have to do is reach out and I'm going to talk your ear off. But, you know, that's how you get to know me is is by following me and asking me questions. Well, this is why we brought you on, you know, big personality, a lot of good information. So thanks for coming in. We Steve, really appreciate Steve it. Steve the t-shirt. And then I guess if you enjoyed this, you're one of Josh's listeners or if you're one of our regulars, you know, hit us up with a five-star review. We really appreciate any reviews that come our way because it puts us in front of more people. So that's just us asking you to pump the shit out of this thing and just see where it goes. And as I alluded to earlier, and this is something I, I feel like a lot of our listeners do, is we have, what, this is episode number 39, so we're really stacking them up now. Instead of thinking, oh, i got to go listen to all these, pick one that you find you'd be interested in. So again, Nick Sorrell or Robbie Farlow, both done podcasts with us. The last one we just did, this roundtable with uh, the three guests, is really funny and really entertaining. You could go pick someone like... Oh, God, who's an example? You know, Sohi Lee. It's our top downloaded episode. 7,500 downloads and climbing. Get it and share it. Yeah. Share yeah. And share it with someone that you think would be really interested help, in. Help some meatheads from Edmonton out. But other than that, man, take it easy. Thanks, Josh. Hey. Shut up and sit down.